seated, everyone. I invite you to take your Bible at this time and turn uh, with me in the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 6, uh, which will be our uh, focus uh, tonight as we spend some time together uh, in this portion of God's Word. Psalm 6, you'll see the heading there to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. And so this is the word of the Lord. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak. Because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your word and we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that we've already uh, confessed uh, tonight together. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are at work in and among your people and that by your Holy Spirit we have this scripture before us. And so we pray, Lord, tonight in our time together uh, that you would bless this word to us and that uh, for whatever reason we may have come to this place, Lord, that you would be pleased to meet with us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, of course, the Psalms are uh, prayers, uh, many prayers we have in the Psalter. They're also songs to sing. They're prayers that are put to song. We Read them often in the place of worship. We sing them in our uh, hymnals, and uh, they are arranged to many different, many different tunes. But at heart, of course, they are uh, prayers uh, to the Lord. And prayers, as you know, in your own prayer life and my own prayer life, are not always neat and tidy. We do have the uh, the encouragement for for prayer, of course, with the Lord's prayer, and there's a certain pattern to follow in the Lord's prayer. We have the the Acts prayer, of course, where there's adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. But the interesting thing is that as you read through the Psalter, uh, not all the prayers of David are, are, are neat and tidy. Uh, sometimes uh, there's, no, there's no adoration, there's no confession, there's no uh, expression of thanksgiving. He just goes right to, the, uh, right to the need, which is the case in this psalm. It's kind of like um, in our household, we usually... You know, we have a, a rule at our house when you're coming in as a child from outside. Uh, you're supposed to come in the garage door. You carefully close the door behind you. You nicely take off your shoes. You're supposed to put your shoes on the rack. And, and if your hands are dirty, you should go wash your hands in the sink. And, and then you can come and talk to, to mom and dad. So those are, those are the rules that are kind of in the house. But that doesn't always work that way. And uh, uh, especially if uh, someone's been hurt or maybe a child being chased by a dog or something like that, all those steps might be cast aside and a child might just run inside 
uh, shoes still on, door wide open, and runs straight up to mom and dad, full of words. And uh, such is David's prayer, it seems, in this psalm. It's not really a neat and tidy prayer, it just kind of seems to be David uh, going right into the presence of the Lord, straight to his request and his plea. Uh, Dale Davis calls this psalm wet prayer. That is, a prayer filled with tears. It's really striking that out of 150 psalms, there are about 59 psalms which are classified as laments. That is, prayers expressing sadness, distress, uh, or tears. 59 out of 150, that's an awful lot. Uh, there are, of course, psalms of praise. There are psalms of, uh, for the enthronement of the king. Uh, there's all those sorts of psalms too, but why so many laments? Uh, well, the fact is, of course, that in the world in which we're living, life under the sun, as uh, Ecclesiastes describes it, we're, we're living in a fallen world and there's enemies all around, there's enemies within, there's the world, the flesh, uh, the evil one himself, there's a battle to be fought. And so the Psalms are, and you know them to be so wonderful because they give expression to the struggles and sorrows and pains and perplexities, the foibles, the faults and the failures and the needs of every believer. Ian Hamilton writes this about the Psalms. He says, The Psalms portray the life of faith with searing honesty. They poignantly remind us that the pattern of death and resurrection that was etched into the holy humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, is the pattern that the Holy Spirit seeks to replicate in the lives of all God's children. Death, resurrection. The book of Psalms, he says, is a divinely inspired songbook that reflects the highs and lows, the triumphs and tragedies of God's covenant people over a, uh, over a millennium. So that's why there's 59, at least, laments in the Psalms. And this, of course, uh, is, is one of them. John Calvin described the Psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And so Psalm 6 is about the tears uh, and the hope. Of God's people. Just those two things tonight. The tears of God's people. Now clearly in this psalm, David is in distress and he is greatly troubled by what? Well, the heading of the psalm doesn't give us too much information to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the, uh, the Sheminith. Nobody knows what this word Sheminith means. Some think it's just a, a musical uh, term that now has been lost to us. Uh, some think it means an eight-stringed harp, uh, which sounds pretty good, uh, or an eighth company uh, that is... You know, the, the Levites were the ones who would sing. They had the choirs. Maybe this refers to an eighth, as in the eighth company of singers. Nobody, nobody really knows. David is perhaps uh, still fleeing from Absalom, uh, like the heading of Psalm 3 gives to us. Uh, but whatever the case may be, his life situation, it could be his own sin is troubling him. Uh, it could be sickness we read about in this psalm. And it could be his enemies, because they're all mentioned uh, in the course of these few short ten Verses, But he begins uh, seemingly troubled uh, because he uh, understands that he is under somehow the discipline of the Lord. And it's difficult for him. And he asks this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me uh, in your in your wrath. And so he's feeling some kind of discipline from the Lord, some kind of chastening from the Lord, uh, some kind of stress uh, from the Lord. And he's asking the Lord not to, not to carry out this discipline in, in anger or in wrath against him. That is, in a, in a, as a means of punishment uh, towards him. He feels that God is somehow on the verge of pouring out his wrath upon him. 
Alec Motyer translates this verse this way. Lord, let it not be in your exasperation that you reprove me. Let it not be in your rage that you discipline me. He does not uh, want to know the, uh, the anger and the wrath of the Lord. Jeremiah prayed uh, similarly. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And Jeremiah says this. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me uh, to, to nothing. Do not discipline me in your anger, O Lord. Now, parents do that, of course, sometimes. Sometimes parents discipline uh, in anger. And we've all been children, so you've all uh, experienced this, no doubt, at one time in your life, where uh, a mother or father disciplined you. Uh, but instead of feeling the, uh, the love of your parents, you felt that discipline to come in anger as if they wanted to punish you rather than help you and, uh, and correct you rather than... Uh, rather than anger, to be disciplined in, in love. Now, of course, the Lord has righteous anger, but David prays that the Lord would not discipline him uh, in, his, in his wrath. Now, God uses, of course, pain to discipline us. Often we'll find the psalmist in pain and suffering. Sometimes we find our own sin leads to such discipline. We're shown and experience the, we experience the consequences of our own sin uh, that we might draw closer to the Lord. Sometimes our sin draws us closer to the Lord because we, we cry out to Him. Other times the Lord is simply using our circumstances to draw us close to Him. Maybe we're sick uh, or we're suffering. Uh, and this is a way that we are drawn closer uh, to, to Him. Romans 5.3 says this, uh, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character uh, produces Hope, And so we know that difficult discipline, stress and strain and even pain itself, God uses all that as means to draw us closer to him. And the wonderful thing, of course, that is in Christ, uh, the discipline of the father that we uh, undergo is never uh, meant as punishment for sin because the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, has paid the penalty and absorbed all the punishment for our sin at the cross. Never discipline in anger and punishment, uh, but the discipline of the Father does serve a glorious purpose in the Bible. It makes us more like Jesus. Discipline is not for our destruction uh, for the Christian, but for our, for our correction. This, of course, is what the book of Hebrews teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12, speaking about the discipline uh, of a father. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It's a sign of sonship to be disciplined and not to undergo discipline. Besides this, as the author of Hebrews, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, our earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Uh, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So we know that. So discipline and suffering for the child of God is never the punishment of God, 
Christ has taken that punishment, but God does discipline us that we might share, the Bible says, more of his nature, his holiness, that we might be more like him. But David fears that what he is experiencing, the discipline he's receiving, is happening to him as a sign of God's displeasure. Have you ever thought that God was angry with you? What about, uh, what about before you became a Christian? Uh, when you saw your sin clearly for the first time, did you sense that God was angry with you and your sin? Well, I remember. I remember my life without the Lord. I remember growing up in the church. I remember hearing but not really listening to many sermons. I remember instruction in the youth group from my parents around the family table. And I remember straying far from the Lord, seeking love and joy elsewhere. And I remember one night when I was about to give in to committing a certain sin and an overwhelming sense of knowing that it was sin came over me. And all that I've been taught by my mother and father was right there in my mind. And I still chose to sin. Until a year or two later, the Lord convicted me of that sin, many other sins, sins against my family, against others, my father, my mother, so much sin, he must be angry and righteously angry with me. And then, of course, the gospel comes, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And there's grace for the chief of sinners. But what about when you're walking with the Lord Aren't there times when you feel that God is angry with you? That's what David is experiencing here, or that he is perhaps punishing you for some sin. Maybe your parents get divorced, and you think that's happening because God is angry with you. Or you get sick yourself. Maybe some debilitating disease or cancer. You think, well, God must be angry with me. Or you lose your job and your income, your resource. You're facing great adversity And you think to yourself, well, has God reached the limit of grace for me? Have I repeated that besetting sin one too many times? And even God won't forgive me again. He's angry with me. That's why I'm experiencing all these things. Your mind and heart, even body, is weak and filled with sorrow. You feel that you're languishing under the angry displeasure of God. That's what David is experiencing here uh, in this Uh, In this song. Now we know, of course, that's not so for the Christian. You are not under the condemnation. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that's true, but David's struggling here with thinking that God is disciplining him in his wrath. Richard Baxter, 17th century pastor, wrote this Oh, keep up life and peace within. If I must feel thy chastening rod, yet kill not me, but kill my sin. And let me know thou art my God. Oh, give my soul some sweet foretaste of that which I shall shortly see. Let faith and love cry to the last. Come, Lord, I trust myself with with thee. Now, notice how David appeals to the Lord, even though he's under this great sense of uh, perhaps that the Lord is angry with him. Notice how he appeals to the Lord. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, uh, for I am languishing. Now, think about this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am 
uh, and think about how we might, a modern, in a modern day setting, how we might complete that sentence. If we were appealing to the Lord for help, um, how we might finish that sentence. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I... What would a contemporary uh, American say? Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I... Deserve it. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for maybe um, you owe it to me. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I have worked so hard. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I've done so much in the church. Be gracious to me, O Lord, because I've been such of use to others. No, 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 none of that. None of that for David. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. I'm weak. I'm helpless. It means I am one who droops. Or withers like a plant. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I'm withering here. This is the way to come to God in our troubles and trials and pain and sorrow. Not puffing out our chest, holding up our nose, but humbled before the Lord of heaven and earth. But clearly David is suffering in both body and soul. Heal me, O Lord, verse 2, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. The word for troubled there could be uh, terrified. Some say, well, maybe he's just speaking uh, metaphorically here. He's, he's spiritually troubled, but he, he does use this language of, of, of body uh, and soul. Heal me, O Lord, my bones, that is my, uh, the very, my very constitution, is troubled or terrified. Shaken is the word. And then my soul is also greatly terrified uh, or troubled. His very life, his emotions, his feelings, his heart and mind are, are shaken. And in fact, the suffering of David is so great, it's graphically portrayed in verses 6 and 7. His weeping is so great, he says, the tears are so many, it's as if his bed has become a pool of water uh, and he's drowning in the flood uh, of his tears. Verse 6, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. His place of rest, he says, has become a waterbed. Uh, but there's no cover, right? He's, he's, he is so wounded. He's wept so long. All night, he says, I flood my bed, my couch with my tears. I dissolve, is what he says. And you think, well, wait a minute. How can this be the same David who said, remember, this is the same David who said to Saul in 1 Samuel 17 about Goliath. You know, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he's defied the armies of the living God. How could this be the same person? Well, of course, it's one thing to be bold before men, but it's quite another uh, to know your weakness before God. Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Well, I don't know. Have you been there? Ever wept so much about what was happening in your life, or maybe to your children, or maybe to a parent, or maybe to a friend, maybe to yourself? Maybe because of your own sin, something's happened, there's been consequences. Maybe you're just suffering, maybe you're sick, maybe you have some kind of disease, maybe you have cancer, and, uh, and you just weep, and you weep, and you weep. And you think, is God disciplined me in His anger? Is he against me? Somehow. But weeping till you can weep no more. I remember being in New Zealand and being called to the home of a young man in our church whose mother had just died and 
Bangladesh. That's where he was from. When I got to his home, he was weeping, so I sat beside him, uh, and he kept weeping. One minute, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. He kept weeping, uh, weeping for his loss, weeping uh, for his for his for his suffering. Now the fact is that David here is full of tears. The tears of God's people, though, in this psalm give way uh, to the hope of God's people. Verse three of this psalm begins with a begins with a cry. Uh, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? How long? No matter what's happening around David or within David, the psalm, though he is filled with tears, though his bed, as it were, were flooded with his tears, the psalm has this faith-filled aspect of hope and trust in the Lord. And it starts with this contrasting word, of course, but in verse 3, my soul is greatly troubled, greatly terrified, but you, O Lord, how long? As terrible as David's situation is, he's able to turn to the Lord, if only to cry out this faith-filled, hope-filled, agonized question, how long? But here's the thing. David knows the Lord is there. David knows the Lord is sovereign. David knows he needs divine intervention. He knows he needs the Lord to step in. No one and nothing else will do. And every uh, believer must come to this point. But... You, O Lord, my life is a mess, but you, O Lord, I am at my wit's end, but you, O Lord, I cannot do this on my own. There is nowhere to turn, but you, O Lord, everyone must come to this point. David knows the Lord's faithful. David knows the Lord's good. David knows the Lord's king. David knows the Lord's in charge. David knows the Lord is loving, which is why he turns to the Lord in the first place and cries out, how long? And this, of course, is the wonderful thing, right? This is our help. What God has done and who God is. This is what this is our rock solid hope, no matter what's happening in our life. David has no lack of confidence that is God will act. The question is not if, uh, but when. But you, O Lord, how long? Someone has said, we we know not the calendar of God. You know, we all have our own calendars, of course, and our diaries and um, agendas, whatever they might be called. And we make make all our plans, right? uh, Just Lisa and I just recently have figured out how to uh, sync our calendars on Google. This has been, actually, I still haven't figured it out, but we're, we're working on it where we can get our calendars synced Together, So we know what's happening on, on what day. And you look at the calendar. Okay, this is going to happen this day, this day, this day. But you know what? It doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> because, because there's also the calendar of God. When he will act. And when he will do something that we had never thought of. Or when he will bring a roadblock that we had never conceived of. Or when he will open a door that we had never, never conceived of. We know not the calendar of God, but we know he will act. And we know we can trust him. Uh, That longing is expressed throughout the Psalms, often in all sorts of Psalms. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 74, how long, O God, 
Is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Psalm 80, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayer? Psalm 119.84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? How long, how long? But you, O Lord, how long? Comes out in the book of Revelation, uh, when the martyrs in Revelation 6 are heard. Remember what they say? In Revelation 6, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. There are people, as we know in the scripture and throughout the centuries, who have died for their faith. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There's others in Scripture who could have asked of the Lord, O Lord, how long? Think about Abraham, promised a seed, a son. O Lord, how long? Uh, Joseph, while languishing in an Egyptian prison, could have, could have asked the Lord. We don't really did, but he could have asked the Lord, how long? Moses, when leading the people of Israel, how long do I need to lead these people? How long, oh Lord? David, so often, and God's people today, how long? How long do I need to endure this pain? How long this suffering? Well, clearly the psalmist hopes in the Lord and believes the Lord will act for his deliverance, even though he doesn't know when. Five times he uses the name of the Lord in these four verses. Uh, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. But notice the reasoning behind his cry. Verse 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. The word turn there could be return. Return, O Lord. So David, clearly, servant of God, feels the Lord has somehow withdrawn from him. And so he asks to return, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of of your steadfast love. That's his, his reasoning here. He has a hope that is well-rooted. He doesn't say, save me for the sake of your justice. He doesn't say, save me for the sake of your holiness. He doesn't say, save me for the sake of your sense of fairness, not save me for the sake of my goodness outweighing my badness. David knew his only hope was the steadfast love and mercy of the Lord. Again, Alec Motyer translates this way. Oh, do return, Lord. Oh, do set my soul free. Save me because of your committed love. Your committed love. Your devoted love. Your hesed is the Hebrew word. The motivating factor, in other words, behind any deliverance for David, has nothing to do with David himself or what he's done but with the steadfast love and faithfulness or the covenant love of God. But you, Lord, how long? Save me for the sake, not anything I've done, but for the sake of your great love. Now that makes sense to us, of course, because that's the only way that anybody's ever saved. Why were the Israelites saved? Or chosen by God? Deuteronomy 7 tells us, the Lord said to them, listen, don't ever get to think that you were chosen by me because you're somehow more numerous than all the nations. You know why you're chosen by me? Because I, I simply set my love upon you. And I made a promise to your fathers. 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, why did he make a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, the Bible simply tells us, uh, when it comes to Abram, the Bible simply says the Lord called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. That is, he called him uh, out of paganism and promised him, according to his love, that he would grant him a seed. And of him, the families of the nations would be blessed. And of course, that's fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. That's why Israel's saved. That's why Abraham's saved. That's why anybody is saved. Always only according uh, to the steadfast love of God. Same in the New Testament. Ephesians 2 says, we are uh, by nature children of wrath. That's who we are by nature. Born by God. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy and love, uh, made us alive when we were dead in our sin. And so, uh, for David too, like the Apostle Paul, like you and I, deliverance comes only by the grace of God. He has a well-rooted hope in the midst of his tears. Lord, save me according to your love. He's got a second reason that he appeals to the Lord for mercy and deliverance. It's in verse 5. For in death, says David, there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, uh, who will give you praise? So, Lord, deliver me. He's got hope. It's well-rooted in the steadfast love of God to save him for for the sake of the Lord's steadfast love. But he's also got this this well-directed hope. He says, Lord, uh, save me because, um, because in Sheol, in the place of the dead, who will give you praise? And in death, there's no remembrance of you. Sheol in the Old Testament is often used simply as a reference to the state of death, whether of unbelievers or unbelievers. And uh, you will know that in the Old Testament, the doctrine of the resurrection is not, is not fully yet revealed as it will be so clearly in the New Testament is there. And we think of uh, Job as he speaks about his, uh, his confidence that he will see his Redeemer with his own eyes in the flesh. And so it's there, but it's... It's not fully there, uh, but Sheol was, was the, the place of, of, of death. And what David is giving expression to is, Lord, if, you are, if I am under your anger and if I am under your wrath and if you're disciplining me in your, in your anger and I, and I die in that state, um, I, I can't praise you. Now, this is really important because what David is, is, is saying here to the Lord, that, that, that one of the reasons he is pleading with the Lord to act on his behalf and to work on his behalf, to save him, to relieve him, uh, is so that he could go on praising the Lord. David's concern is this, Lord, deliver my life that I might praise you. In living, says David, I understand my purpose to be to live to the praise of your glory, and I don't want to see that end. So, Lord, please save me, because if, if you don't, and if I die under your anger and wrath, uh, there'll be no songs of praise coming from me. This is important. David is giving expression to the thought that uh, he's not saying to the Lord, Lord, save me so I can do marvelous things. He's not saying, save me because I have so many other plans for my life. He's not saying, save me because I have much that I want to yet accomplish, a legacy I want to leave, bigger barns to build, more rungs on the ladder to climb. I haven't yet reached that pinnacle of where I want to be in my my career. Uh, My purpose in life, says David, is not to be all that I can be, express myself to the fullest extent. My purpose is not to recreate myself, not to get the most academic letters behind my name, not to make a name for myself. No, David says, deliver my life that I might yet 
praise you. Because there's no remembrance of you and praise of you in the grave. Let me live. Spiritually, let me live. I don't want to die under your wrath or anger. If that's, but, but let me live. If, if, let me live on the, in the land of the living. I, I want to praise you. That's why I'm here. Says David. Oh, this is, there's much for us here. There's much for us here. This is why I'm here. Says David. Praise is the purpose of my existence. This is why I'm anywhere. So let me live. That I might praise you. Does that challenge you? Does that challenge me? It should. Because David's saying, Lord, I don't want to die. Because I long to praise you. And that's why I'm here. I live and breathe to praise the Lord. And so it's a well-rooted hope he has. He appeals to the steadfast love of the Lord. It's a well-directed hope that he has. It's in order to uh, continue to praise the Lord. Save me spiritually. Save me physically that I might sing your praises. And it's a well-assured hope that David has. The Lord hears and answers the prayers of his people. This is how the psalm ends. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. Notice, remember, he was troubled. He was terrified. But in the end, he knows the Lord hears his prayer. And it's all those who are opposed to the Lord who in the end will be shaken. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. These are words that are taken upon the lips of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. When the Lord Jesus uh, says says this, uh, when there are those who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, um, um, you know, are, are, are you not our Lord too? And not everyone, says Jesus, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I, says Jesus, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Are you workers of, of evil? These are the words on the lips of David. David is the king of, of Israel as a, uh, a picture of the Christ who was to come. Uh, saying the Lord answers his prayer. He knows that all those who work evil uh, will, be, uh, will be brought to shame. Unless, of course, they repent of their sin uh, and are converted from wicked evil doers into uh, God lovers and those who have repented of their sin. This is David's uh, well-placed assurance that the Lord hears his prayer. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says here, David says, the Lord uh, hears uh, our weeping. So even though his, his prayer here to the Lord is filled with tears, it, it leads to hope because he knows, that, he knows that the Lord is full of love and mercy and grace and he will hear his cry on that basis. He knows he was created to praise the Lord, and so that he appeals to that. And he knows that the Lord uh, hears his crying and hears his tears and will answer his prayer. Uh, the wonderful thing, of course, about this, uh, this psalm it should remind us of God's people and the book of Exodus, who, like David, uh, were uh, in a time of great suffering, a time of great peril. They were in a time of great slavery. And the Bible says this about the people of Israel in Exodus 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned 
It's like David's groaning here in Psalm 6. Groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. He heard. He saw. He remembered. He knew. And of course, you've read the book of Exodus. Because those things are all true, he also saved, right? And delivered his people. This is the confidence and assurance that David has that the Lord has heard his prayer, has heard his cries. He will deliver David. Now, this is a wonderful thing because this is the kind of trust and confidence and uh, well-assured hope David has. Even in his tears, in the midst of those tears, he has hope and trust in his, his God because of his love, because he was made to praise him, uh, and because he knows that his prayer will be answered. This is the kind of confidence that uh, puts uh, steel into the spine of God's people when you know uh, that the Lord will answer the prayers of his people, that he hears us, he knows, and he will deliver in his time. It's the kind of spine-strengthening testimony displayed by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. They knew the Lord would deliver them. And they said they uh, threatened with death, threatened with uh, the worst kind of of death at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Bow down or, or, or you will die. You'll be thrown into the furnace. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, um, we know that the Lord uh, can deliver us from this peril, and he, he will deliver us from this peril but, but peril, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. See, they knew that, that whether the Lord uh, saved them from uh, the fiery furnace or didn't, uh, in the end, they would be delivered and they would be saved. They put steel into their spine to serve the Lord, no matter what they face. It's the same kind of assurance and testimony displayed by Stephen in Acts 7. When uh, that angry crowd, remember the Bible describes that in Acts 7, they're gnashing their teeth at Stephen. And he's simply telling them the history of the gospel. He's telling them the, the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament leading up to Christ. But then he comes to the end and, and he boldly tells them that they are the ones who have have taken this Christ whom God has promised and they have and they have killed him. And then they pick up stones and and kill Stephen himself. But Stephen has this confidence and assurance and in fact the Bible says that he saw the Lord Jesus at the right hand of the Father. It's the same confidence and assurance, friends, and God pleasing testimony that David has here, that every believer has who dies peacefully in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, knowing that the victory belongs to the Lord. It's wonderful truths. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows, and he will deliver his people. This is the, uh, the assurance that David has that fills him with hope, uh, even in the midst of his tears. That though there be, uh, though there be mourning for a time, uh, joy will come.
And we see this throughout the Psalms, and we see it here in this psalm. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we uh, consider this psalm tonight, Lord, that even as we hear the tears of David and uh, sense his uh, suffering and pain and agony of what he's going through, Lord, all that we do not know, whether it was his own sin or whether it was his own physical suffering or whether it was the antagonism of enemies all around, that though his, uh, his, his heart was troubled, that he found great hope in you, appealing to you as we do today as well, Lord. Our only confidence is in your steadfast love, that no matter what we are facing, uh, no matter how difficult the trial, no matter how painful the suffering, uh, we can have an assured hope in you. You will save us according to your steadfast love. You are merciful and gracious, and we've seen that in the giving of your Son over to death on the cross, in the place of sinners, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we appeal to you and your steadfast love. And Lord, we, with the psalmist, Lord, want to praise you. We know, Lord, that's why we're here. And so we pray, dear God, that you would work in each one of our lives. We know, Lord, you've created us in your image. Lord, that we would reflect you in holiness and and, and your glory, and that we would indeed sing your praises. And so, Lord, we pray that for our children and our grandchildren, that we would know why we are here upon this earth, that we might sing the praises and remember the goodness and give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done for us. And help us, Lord, then, to have all this hope rested assuredly on that truth that we know that you hear us, you know us, you see us, and you answer our prayer according to your grace, according to your mercy. And though we do not know the time, we know, O oh Lord, that you are good and gracious. And we can put all our trust and all our hope in you for whatever we are facing even today. As we go out from this place, assured of the love of our Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.